I'm Glenn Wiggins, the host of the False Administration Podcast. Um, I have, I don't know what to call it, I guess, fellow Alabamian. Is that, is that what is that what we're calling it now? Oh, I guess I, I called it and you didn't say anything. But yeah. uh, I have Dana Glazer from the founder of Slightly Alabama. Uh, thank you for um, inviting and, uh, and accepting the invitation to uh, having us in the uh, the ambiance, the uh, workshop, the mm-hmm. workshop of Slightly Alabama. Um, but I'm, I'm more than uh, grateful and thankful of some of the great things that we've like saw and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so I mean, I think Slightly Alabama is a great, uh, great brand. I mean, you know. But uh, I wanted to most definitely talk to you a little bit about, uh, it was something that you stated, uh, it was either in an article or maybe vocally-wise that you said, um, from the time in which Slightly Alabama was founded in 2013, um, that 30 years before 2013, the business started. So what did, what did, you, what did you mean by that? Um, yeah, that's kind of in our description of who we are as a brand, kind of our, our brand backstory is this, this notion that, um, you know, there's lots, there, there are a lot of hallmarks in the development of any company or of any brand, right? The day you get your business license, the day you start your website, the day you hire your first employee, those are all hallmark, hallmarks that you can say, that's when we became a business. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is when you start a brand and a business that is so personal, um, particularly as personal as one, um, like the, what we have, you have to look at it, it's really part of your entire life. And so for me, um, you know, I, t- I talk about the fact that this business started 30 or 40 years ago. Um, I'm not quite 40 yet, so I can say <laughs> that, but about 30 years ago when um, growing up in, in Northern Alabama um, and visiting my grandparents um, uh, and learning and falling in love with the world and the work of, of hand craftsmanship, um, of designing and making things with your hands. Um, that's really where all of this started. And then I, I headed down a path from school to college to a professional career path um, and then went through an evolution in many ways as a human being um, to understand what is my kind of calling or passion in life. And it went straight back to that very, um, those very beginning days of um, just working with my grandfather in his workshop or um, painting or drawing. Um, and that's kind of, in many ways, where this business came from. While um, our business was officially founded in 2013, in October mm-hmm. 2013, um, it didn't start then. It started mm-hmm. a long time ago. So that's where that that's idea like 19, comes from. That's like 1983, 30 years from 2013. So do you... So do you remember the year 1983? Uh, I was six. Uh, <laughs> so I remember a few things um, yeah. uh, living in Huntsville at the time. And, um, but I don't know that I, I, I remember much that's of any significance today. Because, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so would you, would you primarily say like Alabama really taught, uh, really taught you how to taught you arts and craft like you know to paint to draw and write and everything else like that sure i mean that's where i that's where i learned it um i think in many ways um more globally speaking the brand is really about roots about where we come from um for me that's from northern alabama but for someone else that might be um you know somewhere in Washington or somewhere in Ohio or somewhere like that. Um, it could be the same story um, and lots of great craftspeople um, all have a very similar story. It goes back to kind of their roots. Um, for me, that's where it started. Um, that's where um, I learned craftsmanship from my family. Um, that's where I explored craftsmanship just as a way to avoid boredom. 
right? Yeah. Um, you're just hanging out in your grandparents' house and nothing else to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly I grew up playing sports, uh, but that was not necessarily as significant um, a part of who I was as painting and drawing and mm -hmm. um, working in a wood shop. Um, those things felt so much more um, self-satisfying and um, on some level just felt like very natural mm -hmm. to me. Uh, my grandmother on my father's side was an interior designer. She had an interior design shop in Decatur. Um, so I would spend a lot of time in the back warehouse of her design sh shop running around and you know, in the big rolls of carpet and things that she had sitting back there and playing with all of her drafting tools that she would give me. Yeah. Um, so that kind of... What about uh, the, the rare barn? Yeah, that was my grandfather. So my grandfather had a had a wood shop. It was this red barn wood shop in the front of um, um, our house, and that's where he had all of it. For me, looking back as a kid, it felt like it was probably the largest, the biggest wood shop in the world. The truth of the matter is, it was probably no bigger than you know a couple of tables put together. Mm. Um, but certainly, that memory of the sawdust, the, the memory of um, the smell of the sawdust, the um, the just how cool all those tools were. Um, that was something that I deeply connected with and I would take that um, with me when I would leave my grandparents' house and go back home to my house and my dad had a giant table saw in our garage and he had tools and I would spend a lot of time organizing and playing with his tools. Um, um, probably frustrating him because I was like reorganizing his tools and playing with but the idea of owning a workshop and being around that was just something that just felt very natural. I guess some kids love running around a baseball diamond or. Um, swimming or whatever for me it just I enjoyed be being in a workshop yeah. um, from a very early age um, but yeah he had this bright red um, wood shop out front and we would go out there and and play so yeah because I mean of course we talked and I'm originally born and raised from Alabama and it was for, for you it's, it's it's looking at the craftsmanship of like watching this wood become into you know from sawdust to coming into something mm -hmm. like um, and then also watching your grandmother, you know, being an interior designer. For me, it was it was sports. I mean, I mean, growing up in Mobile was sports, and that's all that's all you know. There's not too many things that, you know, growing up in Alabama that right. you're able to do. You can like do you, said, right? you, you escape boredom. <laughs> yeah. So, so what it, what was it about? Not even just your grandparents, like, because um, in some part you said your your mother had like a a, a room for like for, mm -hmm. for you and your sister to do crafts so is it, yeah. was it like something that she gave you guys to to be busy or was it something that she really believed in um i think um i think probably all um all of the relatives in my family from what i remember um appreciated or enjoyed crafts that's what we called it right crafts mm -hmm. um maybe it's just a Maybe everybody does all over the world, um, but we're not Alabama. Uh, Alabama, we, we don't know the. We know what art is, but then, like you said, yeah, 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 the crafts, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, um, it's something that matters to my mother to this day. She loves to sew, and she loves to do ceramics, and she loves to do every kind of craft humanly possible. Um, and she had a craft room in our house growing up. And one of the things that um, I guess she enjoyed sharing with my sister and I, but. Um, uh, she believed was important to the cultivation of her children was not just sports and academics, but also um, I think that artistic side. And so we would, um, during the summer, we would go to the local ceramics shop and we would pick out pottery and we would bring it home and we would paint it. And she had a kiln um, in her craft shop, in her craft room. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, I don't know why she did that I don't know I mean it just seemed like it was something that was very natural and she enjoyed doing it. and I I know personally I gravitated heavily towards 
that and I really enjoyed that. I don't know that my um, my sister enjoyed it as much as I did um, in the way that I did. Um, but it was something that for me, that was really where I, mm. I just enjoyed the act of putting something together and making it. Um, and then later in life, um, I think transitioning that development of skills to, to the need to express yourself as an individual, to discover mm. your voice. And so using those skills to then not recreate something you saw in a craft book, but to develop your own voice and to design and make your own products and to see the way in which the, that um, that expression um, through your brand itself became kind of a part of your story and your place in the world. Mm -hmm. um, I hate to say that what we do is art because it certainly is not art, um, but there is this kind of similar quality of I have a voice, I have a vision, and I um, fight to see that vision come through. Um, and then we rely on our craft and our skill to kind of express that. Um, but you know, we're not, we're not just doing crafts for the sake of craftsmanship, right? We're not just like making anything, right? We're making stuff that particularly um, is a, an embodiment and a reflection of who I want to be in the world, I guess. Um, so there's something so what artistic your, that. What was that. your father in all the parts? I believe you, you told me that he, he was a musician. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a complicated story. Um, my father was a musician. Um, he was born, uh, or he was raised in Decatur um, on the Tennessee River, just north, just uh, uh, east of, of Sheffield, where my mother was raised. Um, and he went to school at UNA, um, studied music, and then went off to Nashville to become a, a session musician and a, a musician. Um, that's where I was born, I was in Nashville, and while he was there, he, um, he got cancer. Um, and so he passed away when I was three years old. Um, but, uh, so, that part of the story is a little bit different in the sense that um, calling the brand slightly Alabama, um, reconnecting with my roots in Alabama to build the business that will define me and my own legacy mm -hmm. in some ways is, a, is, is partially also about going back to discovering who he was, right? Um, so I think there's a, that side of things as well. Um, but then my mother remarried shortly thereafter to um, a, a military man um, who was stationed in Montgomery. Um, okay. We lived in Maxwell Air Force Base Absolutely. for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, he became the man who actually raised me. Um, so we moved from Montgomery to Huntsville. That's when we lived there in Huntsville. And he worked at Redstone Arsenal. Mm -hmm. um, strangely enough, he was a, a military man and a computer scientist, but he also had this huge passion for macrame, which was so yeah, he was, uh, strangely enough, he was into macrame, which is a form of masculine crocheting, I guess we could say. I don't really okay. know exactly what it was, okay. but it was a weaving of like, <laughs> almost like rope, and he would make these things. Um, so there was craft, uh, a craft on his side of, of things as well. He, however, was a very talented um, singer, like vocalist, like mm -hmm. he sung in barbershop quartets. Um, so I think in some ways it's important to say that because in every aspect of my life, some way, shape, or form, the world of art and craftsmanship kind of played out no matter I could never escape it um, but not in a way where it was something that we strove toward it was just something that came from like it's just what we did we had a piano in the house he sang but it wasn't like we were, nobody tried to define themselves as that and so I'm probably the first time first person who actually said not only do we do this and we enjoy this I'm going to define myself as that person and build a business and a, and a career mm -hmm. out, out of that which is um, yeah. do you think that some of what some of where you are right now that you're you're in a place in where you're kind of you're in this middle point of 
continuing on what your father could, what type of legacy he could have built and like kind of intertwining that with what you want your legacy to be? Um, I think, so I think there's probably some parallels, right? He was um, trained as a musician from early on. He went off to UNA to get a degree in music and then he went off to become a professional musician. And obviously music is about training and craftsmanship um, and skill and then exp personal expression. Um, and it does, um, it is, artistic and commercial um so in that way you can say yeah i guess it's, yeah. it's a similar thing but it's um it's my thing um i was never obviously trained formally in what we do i don't know that you too many people are trained formally as far as getting an academic degree in and leather working um you certainly do in design um so yeah i guess in some ways i'm marrying um commercialism with artistic expression and trying to build a career in a business and um when you do work like what we do, um, certainly a big part of it is about business, um, but there is a big part about every single day we confront that sense of self-expression, that sense of who I am um, on a daily basis, and so, um, which you would as a musician as well, so. Yeah. So it's, so taking you from a, a, a younger adolescent through the house of, I mean, house of so many arts and crafts, I mean, you know, we already talked about your grandmother, your grandfather, your mother, mm -hmm. uh, and of course your sister and your father. But then you kind of, kind of like fast forwarding into, you went to, I've already said that it's okay to make one mistake. You went to Florida State University. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a University of Miami Hurricane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you went to Florida State and you majored in English. Correct. So, I mean, was that, whose decision was that? I mean, well, how, uh, how was that decision to major in English, um, all these different things that you've been exposed to. So that's a foolish and embarrassing story to tell, um, <laughs> only because of how foolish it was. Um, I actually went to Florida State originally as a film major. Okay. Um, I was going. To, I wanted to become a film writer and a film director. Um, I had also applied to um, Savannah College of Art and Design to study painting, two completely different things. Um, but um, when I got to Florida State, I um, quickly had this foolish notion that if I wanted to make great movies, I needed to, to study the greatest storytellers of all time. So instead of studying film, I wanted to study literature so that I could study great writers. I think that might have just been a cop-out, to be <laughs> completely fair. Um, yeah. I had always loved books and I always loved reading growing up. Um, and I think probably more importantly, it, that showed how conflicted I was on what I wanted to pursue. Obviously, I wanted to pursue something in the creative arts, but I did, wasn't quite certain mm -hmm. what, it, what it was gonna be um, because I had so many passions for so many different things. Um, uh, so yeah, I went and studied literature um, purely because I loved reading books and I wanted to, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I often think about the fact that in some ways, building a brand like mine is also about telling the story of what we do and so it's probably not very dissimilar to studying literature where you study storytelling like we're, we're telling a story um, through our brand in some way shape or form um, to this day I still love reading I read pretty voraciously and I have a quite a um, sizable um, collection of books um, it's still a big part of my life um, but it was probably and uh, it's an example of me not quite knowing what I wanted to do with my life mm. uh, but still loosely in the genre of self-expression. Yeah. It's not like I went and studied molecular biophysics or something like that, which I... So while you were in school, did you ever, like, even have the bug to, like, produce a film? Oh, no. No? Oh, no. No. No, I, I quickly, I, I quickly, like, 
when I went and studied literature, I quickly just, that was what I, I was. And that's a part of my character is to be obsessively all in. Like if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this 100%. Um, for example, when I started my brand, um, I had been thinking about it for a few years. Yeah. Um, probably in April or May, I'd come up with a brand name. By June, I had decided I was going to do it. By November, I quit my job. So I jumped straight in um, to build this brand. So, But there was a... But there was even before you even came to that point, like there was still like a there was still like a, a searching point that you had because sure. you went from kind of graduating and then it's like your teaching yep. became a not high school just teacher, yeah. Elementary or middle school, but high school teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which serves a lot of more responsibility because you're looking at people that could be same eye level as yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and give you the same as headache I mean, I mean as anybody mm -hmm. uh, we were once I mean all high school you know students so we understand the headache that we can give teachers so it was just so was that something that you just you were still conflicting with after you graduated that led you into like becoming a high school teacher um maybe I mean I think part of it was I graduated college and I, just, I needed a job. Um, I had applied for two jobs. One was to become an editor and the other one was to become a teacher and I got the teacher job first and so I took it and jumped right in. Um, I'm not much on waiting around for anything um, so it wasn't like I was just going to sit around and flounder for a while. Um, and so I went full force for the teaching thing and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, um, and I spent six years doing that and then I think after a while it was still I hadn't quite discovered what I wanted to do but I was wanting to explore a lot of things. Um, and so I left that shortly thereafter. But, um, you know, I, I, I think in some ways, people look at their careers in lots of different ways. I never, I mean, like, I don't know that I will necessarily be a designer in 20 years. I hope I will. Um, it's part of this evolution of who I am as a human being. I, mm. um, so I don't know that I think of those things as mistakes or misstarts. They were continuations of getting to where I am today and I use those skills. For example, we have an apprenticeship program in our shop. We mm -hmm. teach people leatherworking. That all comes from my experience as a teacher to build programs on how to teach this. Um, I teach workshops on a regular basis on leatherworking. So um, it, I guess you could say those things were all necessary prerequisites to be the type of business owner I am today. Yeah. Um, I think teaching is a skill that takes time um, and mm -hmm. it takes experience and if I wanted to build a true apprenticeship program I probably needed that experience of knowing how to be a teacher and how people learn in order to build a good apprenticeship program, um, which I think we have at this point. Yeah. So, and one thing you, you um, maybe we can add to what you said about things that you learn through being a teacher: patience. Yes, patience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> patience. I mean, for a lot of people, I mean, I've been there as far as you know, graduating after graduating, figuring out what you want to do, and it's kind of funny that. Everyone has all these great opinions, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like, where were you guys? Like, when I was in the midst of like school, mm -hmm. but then for some people, I mean, you went on being a teacher, and then that wasn't you wanted to do something else. Mm -hmm. But there was a time that you had a certain amount of time to reflect. Mm -hmm. Some people, for me, I know, for me to calm my mind and kind of get away, it's me sitting down, playing video games. Mm -hmm. uh, which I never had the time to do, but if I'm just wanting to escape away. But you chose to find a boat. Yeah. Find yeah, a boat. Yeah. How did you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How did you? For some people, it's staying in their house or it's going out and having a long walk. But you found a boat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so well, my parents owned the boat. Um, okay. So it wasn't like I just walked onto a boat one day and said, "This is now mine." Um, <laughs> 
No. Yeah, yeah, sure. It was a it was a period of discovery. It was a period of self reflection of what do I want to do next with my life. Um, it was a slowing down after quitting teaching, um, and um, yeah, it was living in a boat and um, and uh, painting a lot. So I, I had gone back to explore that side of my life and. Um, I painted probably 40 or 50 pieces in about six months. Um, was did it a like couple. Paint and sip? Was it more like you're painting and you're sipping? Was it. No, no, no. Was it was, it, was I, was, it, I was going to try like, to see if I could do some gallery shows yeah. and sell some paintings. So it wasn't like a. So it wasn't like you're in this boat and you're just floating and it's not like a dramatic, like dramatic experience um uh, i think the reality of it is no it was not a dramatic experience i think uh, if we wanted to like re, like re um reimagine the experience yeah. yeah we can make it as dramatic as we want to i lived <laughs> on a boat and i painted and i woke up and I, that's but the truth of the matter is is i was um you know i had a couple of gallery shows and sold some paintings um and tried to explore that side um but i think once again that was all um kind of the uh, the continual theme of my life is using creativity and art um, and self-expression to try to find my path in life um, and using some of those skills. So yeah, it's been about six months painting and drawing and doing some very quite large paintings, um, doing some portrait stuff. Um, and then um, I, think I, I think probably at some point during that I discovered I was not, um, I think I discovered that I was not a, a, a a painter in the sense of being an artist. I think as an artist, they have something to say and they, um, they, they're not just trying to create pretty pictures, they're trying to say something. They're trying to express um, probably something social or culturally or politically. Um, and I don't think I saw myself as a, that kind of painter and I felt like if you're going to be a painter, that's the things that I admire most. Um, I enjoy still drawing and painting to this day, but it's more of a, um, it's more of a, a hobby. Um, like music, I could play music, I play, since I was 10 years old, I played music, but I would never call myself a musician. Um, yeah. And I never tried to become a musician. Um, but it was a point of self-exploration. Um, I think that in many ways, it was the beginning phases of doing what I do now, where I was trying to develop a, um, use design and art, art and creativity to create a personal expression that would then become a commodity. Um, and I think in many ways, art shouldn't be those things. Um, it is those things. Um, um, today, obviously, I use design and creativity to develop a product that is a commodity that is supposed to be a commodity. It is mm -hmm. a fashion product, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did that for, for, for a while of mm -hmm. self-expression before I moved on to the next phase of my career. So then you kind of went into, like, the advertising world. Yeah. Right. So how, how is that? Because from my glimpse of, the glimpse of, for some people, the perception of the advertising world, it's TV shows like Mad Men. Yeah. <laughs> but is does does some of that you know what's the reality of like working like working in the advertising like business um well, well advertising advertising industry rather sure i mean it's nothing like mad men um yeah. i mean i guess you probably could see some parallels and maybe for some people it is like that but for me it was not um uh so what is it like i think it's an issue so um i think that if we look at um, the time I spent living on the boat and painting and I was trying to, um, my conflict was with using art and, and creative expression in order to produce a commodity. Advertising is actually a world where you are supposed to use creativity. From copywriting to graphic design to web design to filmmaking is creative expressions that are purely for a commercial 
purpose. Um, and so it's kind of a cool space to be in because you can see how, I think we, we think of, um, you can only have a, um, a real career, at least I grew up in a world where I believed you could only have a real career if you did serious things like, um, like business or law or becoming a doctor or becoming an accountant or um, a banker or whatnot. But in the advertising world, you can see that creatives actually thrive, right? Guys who wear jeans and a t-shirt every day and come up with crazy ideas are the ones who thrive and really build great, um, great money-making campaigns that drive business forward. Um, it's obviously some of the most fun people ever to work with. Um, some of my friends that I met there are still very, very close friends to this day. Um, I think you also see, for me as a business owner, you see the different legs that are necessary to build a good brand. Um, the way in which messaging, branding, photography, social media, how all of those things kind of come together to build um, a good business. And I got to see how those things were made. Um, and I also got to learn how capable I could be at doing some of those things, not necessarily um, you know, excelling at them, but doing them well enough to build a brand. So, so that when I built Southern Alabama, I wasn't afraid of how are we going to come up with a logo? How are we going to come up with a brand? How are we going to build a website? How are we going to do photography? Like, how are we going to do all those things that are necessary and do them on a professional level? I had had, um, close to 10 years of experience, um, in doing that, um, both in a small advertising agency side and then later in a, on the client side where I worked inside the um, creative department of a, of a single client. Um, but it's a, it's a wonderful experience. Um, what's the, what was the, like, you know, after you, you're going in and you're working in corporate America, what would, what would you probably say was, or what would you kind of like pinpoint what was the, the out of body experience that you had that kind of just said, I'm tired of coming into, to these this cubicle space sure. or this this office space that, that just doesn't fit me. Sure. For me, um, it was an exploration of happiness, understanding what happiness was. Um, I'd come to a point where I was very unhappy. I was very successful professionally because at this point I had been working, um, I was here now, now working in New York um, at, a, at a corporation. Mm -hmm. um, and I had um, uh, the kind of salary that you might respect for someone who has a career. Um, and I had all the trappings of a career um, and of some sort of success, um, but I was very unhappy. So I began to explore the notion of happiness for myself and what it actually meant. Um, and a very simple idea that came to me was this notion that we don't work towards happiness, we work from happiness. Um, that if you work from happiness, you can achieve great things, but if you work towards happiness, you'll always change the, the, um, the goal line. And as you change the goal line, you actually um, are probably like not working at your full capacity. And so that notion was really powerful for me. So I stepped back and said, I'm gonna to try to work from happiness in my life and figure things out from there. Um, and then that led down a path of, what am I really supposed to be doing with my life? And all of that started to lead towards these thoughts of like going back in my mind to Alabama, going back to growing up there, going back to the things that mattered the most to me as a kid. Um, and so, and then from that beginning to build like, oh, what if we took this idea of craftsmanship and of my passion for design, that thing that has never left me and, and um, built a brand or, around it. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it was not so much about looking at a market opportunity, it was what kind of life did I want to lead. And back to my father, grandfather's Red Barn workshop, I wanted to 
come in every day to a workshop. I wanted every day to, to work from a studio, um, not from a silly stuffy office in a suit and tie. Um, and then um, the wheels started turning and I was like, I have years of experience in advertising and marketing. I have years of experience in running a P&L. Um, I have lots of friends who are professional photographers and web designers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have all of these things. And if I have from this weird career that I had somehow built, um, back to being a teacher and having patients, I was like, I could build um, a fashion brand um, that has an apprenticeship model and use all of the tools I have Put it, put it all together. So, so who are you talking to, like, when this idea is coming about? Like, who were you specifically talking to, like, as in, was it a friend? or No, it was the reflection in the window of my office that I wanted to <laughs> jump out of every day when I had to go into work. Um, no, so I did that, and I think that started to evolve. Um, and um, what ended up happening is, obviously, I started speaking to my wife um, a little bit about it, and then... Um, I decided let's just start, we gotta start from the very first thing, which is what is our brand? We gotta build a brand. Yeah. Um, and around April of 2013, my wife and I were talking and she kept asking me like, why do you wanna do this? What is, what's important to you about this? Not in a, like in, a, in a way of like helping me to explore it. And I said, in some way, shape or form, this all goes back to my growing up in Alabama. And then it clicked, I said, slightly Alabama. I was like, that's the brand. Um, and she was like, I like it. <clears throat> so I developed that name and that felt like, okay, we had crossed the first hurdle. Um, and uh, so then what ended up happening is about four or five months later, maybe less than that, I told two very close friends who I saw as advisors and people who I respected and people who I knew would not support me just because it's me. They would only say good things if they actually believed it was a good thing. Mm -hmm. And when I told them what I wanted to do and the brand name, their immediate visceral response was, absolutely, you have to do it. That's mm -hmm. great. Like they. And when they said that, I was like, wow, like I, I know that you would probably say to me, either don't do it, or maybe, or like you would be wishy-washy, you're the kind of person, if you felt unsure about this idea. And they felt very certain about the yeah. idea. And so that kind of just um, headed me down that path. And uh, speaking with one of my friends one night um, about it, I said to him, um, I believe so much in this idea that I would be happy to fail at it. So if I gave everything I had and I still failed at doing this, I would be happy with what I had done. And his response to me was, I don't think you would be happy if you succeeded at something else. And that notion was like, you're absolutely right. Like even to find success doing something else would not bring me happiness. And that was when I was like, all right, I'm gonna do it. Often sometimes like, <clears throat> Because at that point you have, you're in a personal relationship mm -hmm. with someone else and it's it's almost like when you're in a per personal relationship with someone else, you're in the same car together so if it crashes, as you said, if it fails, it's, they're also looking at, yeah. the, the, like they're looking at the uh, being, you know, precaution, like the, the, the warning sign. Yeah, yeah. So was, was there ever any pressure from like, you know, because it's different making these decisions just by yourself, but was there any ever pressures from the personal relationship that you had with your wife that's now? No, so that's, the, that's actually the hardest part about the whole thing is that there is zero pressure from her or from anybody else. Everybody to this day, three and a half years later, still believes 100% yeah. and is willing to sacrifice whatever they have to because they believe so much in it. So there is, there's no, um, 
there's no way for me to escape it or quit because I, I can't go to my wife and say, well, you know, you know, you kept giving me grief about this all the time. Like, so I had to quit. Like, I can't quit because she, even in the darkest moments, she's like, you're not quitting. Like, I believe like, and there has been some really dark moments where I was like, we're shutting this down. This is not working. And her response is absolutely not. You're not shutting this down. This is not, you're not going to, um, you're not going to quit on this. Um, and so I've been very fortunate that, um, there unfortunately is not any pressure like that, so I have to succeed because I can't. I don't have an excuse. <laughs> so. And maybe a lot of people have their. Maybe a lot of people. If you do quit, maybe a lot of people will have their hand out a lot more. Like, okay, where's that favor that I? Yeah, that you yeah, owe me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Um, so I found something. Um, so okay. So if while you're like you came up with the idea, slightly Alabama. Mm -hmm. So if you could envision your like your beginning stages of like a mood board in your beginning stages of like brands that that you were inspired by, like what who like what this mood board look like? Sure. Um, that's a tricky question for me to put on camera, uh, and the only reason why is because I always like to say. Um, a brand like Hermes because, or Brunello Cuccinelli or Berluti, because these are brands that are known for luxury design, luxury craftsmanship, for being the very best. And I don't want to say that in a, because um, I have a great deal of respect for those brands and what they've established, mm -hmm. especially what Brunello Cuccinelli has established. Um, but that is what we're shooting for. We want, it might take a hundred years, but we want to be the brand that um, is known for being um, the best they can possibly be and not cutting any corners and for being a representation of what the best looks like. Um, so those are the brands that I've always, I've, I've always thought of um, and I think everything that goes along with that. From an aesthetic standpoint, we don't necessarily tr um, try to um, represent a similar aesthetic, um, but we definitely want to represent um, a similar uh, devotion to craftsmanship and to skill. Mm -hmm. So, so with like choosing the choosing the name and the logo, how did you go about? You know that the name and the logo was a perfect package, and like because you have to the name and the logo has to make sense in how you market it. Right? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so the name, like I, I mentioned before, how we came up with the name, which. You know, it came back from this this idea that everything that I wanted to do, um, in some way, shape, or form, was foundational. Um, the foundation of it was in my home in Alabama, and my growing up there, and my family that came from there. Um, and then the fact that I also moved to Titusville when I was younger, Titusville, Florida, and then I live in New York now, and then I've traveled in lots of places around the world, and everything, all of that, um, inspires the brand. Hence the name, slightly Alabama. Um, the logo was a little bit trickier, um, and I was smart enough to—I was brave enough to believe I could design my own logo, but smart enough to know that I, did, I shouldn't um, design my own logo; that I should go to a professional. Um, and I was very fortunate. And this is the exciting thing about starting a, a brand like this: as I started to tell people, so many people joined in and said they wanted to be a part of it. And um, a very dear friend of mine, a guy named Peter Noah, who is a very talented art director and graphic designer. Um, volunteered to help me design the logo and designed a beautiful logo. Um, and we went through an experience of like, okay, what are the things that embody the brand? What embodies the work that you do every single day? So on and so forth. Um, what are we trying to build? And so when he designed our logo, um, 
we took a look at the most important tool um, that defines who we are and what we do, and it's the wing divider tool. Um, and he used that along with this notion of creating a badge, um, which in many ways is supposed to be reflective of kind of a badge or a seal um, that embodies heritage, um, but designed in a way that feels very fresh and very modern. Um, and something that also is very um, uh, universal. So we can use the, the, the wing divider mark, we can use the word mark, we can use the full badge, we can twist the wing divider however we wanted to so it became very functional in design. So that activity was actually a very practical activity um, around the nature of the products. We knew that we would be branding the products themselves. Um, and so a lot of our products have just that wing divider on there. Um, it's also very fortunate that the wing divider logo is an A for Alabama. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of thought going into that. But I think that's it's an important question to ask because when I started and I decided to pursue building this brand, I went all in and we started with the foundational pieces, which is what is going to be our name and we would not move forward until we had a, the right name. And once we had that, then we moved on to the next thing, what's going to be our logo and we did not move forward until we had the right logo. Um, we had a real professional design that logo for us and so we started to build slowly on those foundational things and then build and um, um, uh, apply for our trademark um, for each of those elements um, so that we kind of laid a solid foundation because we wanted to build a brand that um, was not a hobby um, and never should look like a hobby. This is mm -hmm. going to be a global, professional, um, high-end um, fashion brand. So we needed to set those, um, even though it took time and it felt like we just want to run and try to build a product and sell it. Um, and my years of 10 years in advertising also taught me a little bit about instincts when it came around to branding as well. Mm -hmm. So so what besides like the name and logo and kind of like marketing, marketing what do you think are some of the some of the things after that in which you established though that name and that logo? Now you're going into like okay, how we're we gonna make the products and everything yeah. else like that. So how did you how did you go about like figuring out like what are the techniques? Are you because we've seen some products? Are you self-taught or are you are you did someone train you in the midst of you? building the brand no one ever trained me so i'm self-taught um so that that's um that's the answer to that question uh, completely self-taught i think um the point i'm a, a bit of an obsessive researcher so um i i spend a lot of time understanding what else exists in the marketplace out there so that i can make sure that um um those other brands who are great brands great designers they are helping to establish what feels relevant in the world of fashion and accessories. And so I think it's important for me to understand and study that so that I can understand what relevancy looks like. Um, also understand a little bit of tradition and heritage behind design and what design is supposed to be, um, whether we study it from like architects like Eros Saarinen or from great designers like Dieter Rams and his design principles, understanding the history and the heritage of design, um, developing a philosophy of design, um, understanding what good design is that's out there, but then also making sure that we build something that's different enough from those things that we're developing our own voice. Um, so lots of research, um, uh, lots of trial and error. Um, and then there's a few things that are foundational to me as a designer that I believe um, are um, characteristics of great design and they will always play a role in our products. So for me, 
um, this notion of juxtaposition and um, symmetry and asymmetry are very important to me um, and being able to play with that balance. Um, so we do a lot of things with like S curves that are kind of asymmetrical. We do a lot of things where um, a, a particular piece, if turned a certain way, is completely symmetrical, but if turned a different way, it's completely asymmetrical. Um, so I play with that. Um, and then always bringing in um, our stitch line as kind of a hallmark of the design itself because that helps to define the craftsmanship that we are known for because we don't use a sewing machine. Um, so we want to bring that in and always feature that stitch line. Um, it's, my stuff is never too minimalist and it's never too heavily embellished. I think it's a proper, um, uh, uh, um, it's a proper nod towards minimalism, um, but with just enough embellishment um, that, um, that creates a little bit of visual fun or visual play on a piece. Um, that being said, today we're going through um, an exercise of rebuilding the brand and rebooting the brand in some ways. Um, I shouldn't say rebooting it, but restudying the brand. And for that, what we're doing is we're going back to old school branding techniques of defining who is the Slightly Alabama man, defining what um, he is and what he's not, what does his lifestyle look like, so that we can begin to build um, in our mind a character that we want um, the ideal Slightly Alabama man to, to look and feel like so that we design products for that person um, going forward. So you make you, you choose to make your, your products, every, everything that's made for Slightly Alabama is, is made by hand versus mm -hmm. machine. So, of course, you know, you know the reasons why you do that, but if you were to encourage someone else, you know, the reasons why you make your products, you know, that way, how would you, how would you, how would you position it? Um, the most important thing to know about that is that when a, um, a, a leather accessory is hand stitched, it is going to be much more durable and stronger than something that is machine sewn. So when you think of things that are supposed to last for a lifetime, um, we provide our products with a lifetime warranty, but when you have something that is hand stitched, it is by nature and the, by the construction of hand stitching, it is going to last longer than something that is machine sewn. Um, so that's a very important thing, mainly because when you machine sew something, it's two threads that are running parallel to each other that lock around each other. If one of those threads were to pop, the whole thing could unravel. When you're doing something by hand, it's a single thread that goes back and forth through the leather, and if one of those threads were to pop, um, it can't unravel. Um, and it can be easily repaired. Um, when you combine that with um, the type of threads we use and the type of leather we use, you're going to have a piece that is much more durable. Um, so that's kind of the positioning for our product, uh, for our Slightly Outbound product, is we genuinely think these are evergreen products. They're always um, going to be relevant today and hopefully 10 years or 20 years from now, and they are going to last for quite a long time. Um, and more importantly, not just the lifetime warranty is important, but the fact that if something goes wrong with that product or you wear the product out, mm -hmm. send it to us and we're gonna repair it. And that repair is going to be another mark of your individual product. So if you like wear a hole in it somehow and we patch that up or we, um, that, that patch is gonna show and that's gonna be kind of a hallmark of your product that, that you uniquely own. Um, so when it leaves my workshop, all of my products look essentially the same way, but the way everybody uses them and wears them means that they're all going to become yours. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a way in which we position um, the handmade aspect of um, our products and what the value is to the end consumer. So your materials, the leather that you use and how you go about sourcing it, because um, you use two different tanneries mm -hmm. in, in the United States, 
how do you how did you go about establishing and how do you how do you sustain those relationships with those people that in which you get your materials from? Um, I, I wouldn't say that there's anything unique that we do. Those tanneries are very good at working with brands like mine. Um, it's the Horween Tannery and the Wicked and Craig Tannery. And then we also use um, Herman Oak, which is another one that's US-based. Those, those tanneries in themselves are just very good at working with their customers. Um, and obviously, you need to know who, whom to contact. And you need to understand the, um, the way in which the product is produced, the timeline that it's produced on. Um, you need to understand things like obviously minimum orders um, uh, and the time of the year in which they are more busy than other times so that's going to make your life a little bit easier um, but at the end of the day there's nothing unique I did necessarily I happen to work with tanneries that are very good at working with consumers um, like me so <laughs> so what are the, the fine details that anyone needs to know when they're choosing to create products let alone quality products at that. Sure. In the fashion world? Yeah, just in the fashion world. Oh, my God. I don't know that I'm qualified to answer that question necessarily. Um, I can definitely, I guess I can speak from my experience, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, think, I think it's important to do the foundational work and research um, in order to establish what are your principles of design, what are your principles of your own brand. Um, uh, kind of universally and always work from that exact same space, right? And so I think the work um, the work that you put into researching, writing, and thinking um, creatively before you even begin to design um, is absolutely key in making sure that that's, you always come from that space. Mm -hmm. um, so that you can, I mean, you got Dieter Rams' 10 principles of good design, right? Like that's a, that's a, that's a foundational, those are foundational principles that all good design in that genre should adhere to. Um, and so you test it against that. So I think, you know, that's what you have to do first and foremost. Um, I certainly have a um, ethical, I guess, I guess the right word is ethical, ethical principle that goes back to um, uh, um, opposing mass consumerism, products that are easily throw away, can easily be thrown away or replaced. Um, um, so I think you have to develop that kind of um, design ethics before you go into designing anything and then everything will come out of that. Um, I think if you have those foundations, um, then you can be more, there's this, there's this idea that creativity should have no boundaries or no limits and I think that's um, a bogus idea. Not only I think that most people who are designers or writers or painters think that creativity works the best when it's inside of parameters, when it's inside of guidelines. Um, so I think once you have those kind of like, whatever your guidelines are going to be, your design principles, your design ethics are going to be, establish that first and foremost and be able to clearly articulate what those things are. Um, and then you can be free to create within that and know that you're always gonna create something that has some sense of truth to it. Um, and it's always going to find a customer somewhere. Um, I think if you spend too much time trying to be um, timely or trying to focus on what seems to be really popular or trendy right now or trying to go after um, understanding a customer first and just going after them I think you're going to design without foundation um, without truth and honesty and so um, but if you start with like these your own timeless principles and come from that space I think you'll always create great products and you'll evolve as a designer um, as opposed to becoming stagnant 
Um, so now we're sitting on three years. Three years now for Slightly Alabama. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're in over how many stores? Um, we've, I think we've opened up into about 75 to 80 different stores. Those aren't, I don't want to mislead you and say that they're constantly ordering from us that many stores, but we've opened up that many stores. Yeah. So it's, and then also at the same time you've been featured in uh, nationally and internationally publications. Mm -hmm. uh, and then now you're starting to bring on a team. You mm -hmm. have a team now. Um, would you say that you're... The, the process that you're more uh, you love the process versus uh, the finished product which one um, the process always mm -hmm. I think it's always the process um, I think um, there is always that moment at, that um, when you finish a piece that you um, you sit back and you look at it, but for me, it's always a slightly depressing moment. Um, yeah. Even when we've achieved what I wanted to achieve, yeah. there's this moment of like sadness that like the process is over. And I think that, and, and immediately you start thinking about the very next piece that you want to make. And it's like staring at a blank canvas, which is always frightening. Um, but it's always the process where there's the greatest amount of satisfaction. And I think the later stages of the process, when you start to see things coming together and there's still work left to do, so. To sum it all up, I think I found uh, found a quote to really sum everything in, in your story. Mm -hmm. uh, as we, you know, you shared with us this afternoon, uh, it goes: "Who you really are is the thing you thought of first." I think that really sums up. Yeah, I really, I think that really sums up. Uh, slightly out of a story. I, I think that's a great, I think that's probably a good estimate. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to this notion that this whole brand started 30 years ago, right? Yeah. It started um, when I only cared about doing something that I loved and not doing something that I thought I should be doing or doing something for reasons other than passion or love. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. Well, we're not slightly, we're, we're, this is Alabama coming together, so uh, this is this is Dana Glazer, founder of uh, Slightly Alabama. Uh, I do thank you again for uh, joining us and, and, and spreading uh, a lot of light uh, on your uh, on your company on today. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks. All right, let me just confirm sound. Okay. Perfect timing with the music coming on just now. <laughs> I know.